What are some of the other parallels you've seen or some of the ideas that have crossed over from hostage negotiation to business negotiation or negotiation in kind of everyday life? Well, the other side always wants more. They just don't know where it is. And as soon as they feel listened to, they're going to be more amenable to other ideas. There are three basic types in negotiation, and, and they, they get us back to the caveman response, you know, because a caveman part of our brain, the amygdala, that where every thought goes through there. Evolution hasn't evolved that out of our brain. It's still there. And so when the caveman saw something, he thought, I run from it, I kill it, or I make friends with it. It becomes part of my tribe. Fight, flight, or make friends. It eats me, I mate with it. You know, however you want to describe those three basic responses. But in each one of those responses, coming to an agreement is a secondary benefit. There's always something more important to the other side than coming to an agreement. And part of that is always in being understood. So if I can gain leverage on you, if I can get more of what I want by not spending a dime, but by simply letting you know I understand, then I open up the opportunity to get more for me and to have you like it. Stuart Diamond wrote a book that I love the title of. It's called Getting More. It sounds very selfish, but it's in fact, you know, what we all want. We want all want to do better. Getting more is also about having, from my context, it's also getting more by having better relationships, by having someone want to collaborate with you, by having the same person want to do business with you again, instead of you needing to search for new business counterparts all the time. You know, I have tremendous respect for Donald Trump and what he's accomplished as a negotiator and as a businessman. Understand that he has to change his business venues every few years with this very aggressive approach because people get tired of that aggressive approach. When was the last time he put up a building in New York City that came anywhere near to Trump Tower, the Grand Central Station? Magnificent pieces of real estate that he did back in the 80s. Having to look for new business partners all the time means that he has to continually move from place to place to place. Not all of us have the ability to do this. Most of us, like Warren Buffett, we'd, I'd rather be like Warren Buffett because he's got to be not only the richest guy in Omaha, but he may be one of the richest people on the planet. He hasn't gone from place to place to place. And not all of us want to move from place to place to place, almost as if we're in the witness security program. We want to stay in one place and we want to flourish and we want to prosper. And you do that by having great relationships and having people wanting to continue to do business with you. And that's a lot of what this is really designed to do. So you talked about the difference in style between Trump and Warren Buffett. Tell me about how that plays into the sort of the three different negotiating styles, which, which you touched on as well, and describe a little bit kind of what each of those styles are. Well, you know, one style is, is a very extremely assertive. I suppose that, you know, even more than saying it's assertive, it's aggressive. And the aggressive style is intoxicating because you beat the other side and you have victory and you celebrate. The problem with that is the more people you beat, the fewer people want to do business with you. And what really comes to pass is I was talking to an executive in an energy company in Boston several years ago, uh, the CEO of the company. And in his industry, he developed a relationship of being a very tough negotiator. And after a while, no one would make deals with him. Everybody that he talked to, if by definition you did business with him, he won, that meant you lost. Nobody wanted to do business with him. And he was in a position, he actually had a deal on his desk that he negotiated every single point with the CEO from the other company and the CEO refused to sign. Having negotiated and agreed to every point when it came to signing at the bottom, he wouldn't sign. And he said, I know why this guy won't do this. I've got such a reputation as a tough negotiator. If he signs a deal, it means he lost and he knows his board's going to fire him because he lost. And that's the residue of being the very assertive guy. When you always win, the other side always loses. And pretty soon, people lose their appetite for that. Nobody wants to do business with you. And to all due respect for Mr. Trump, his businesses are spread all over the world. He doesn't stay in one place. He's not putting buildings up in New York City anymore. He's not building casinos in Atlantic City anymore. He'll build a golf course or a resort in one location, and then he'll have to move on. 
And my assessment is he's left such a toxic residue with each deal that people don't want to continue to do business with him. That's one type. Now, he actually prefers to be understood, interestingly enough. And, you know, the book that he's he's gotten some criticism over as to whether or not he wrote it. I don't know the art of the deal. I don't know if he wrote it or not. His co-author is bad-mouthing him now, which is another interesting residue of being assertive. But I read that a long time ago. And he was more than willing to talk about and describe the people that could handle him. And there are people that have handled him. His son-in-law is one of them. His son-in-law is not one of the assertive, aggressive types. His son-in-law is very analytical. His son-in-law is very quiet. Ivanka's husband, I believe. And this is the great description of what I refer to as the analytical guy. The analytical guy doesn't like open conflict. He sees it as being extremely nonproductive. The analytical guy thinks things through, and you will never discuss a problem with an analytical person until they have at least one solution and probably multiple solutions. So the analytical guy, the non-open combat guy, can do very well with the assertive negotiator. And you, you see that play out in Donald Trump's organization with the people that he seems to have the most respect for. So that's the second type. And then the third type is uh, the person who's relationship-oriented. And they make friends. They bring you into their tribe. They want you to be part of their life. They want to have a long-term, ongoing relationship with you. They're likable. And there's an interesting statistic that people who are likable, you're six times more likely to make a deal with someone you like. And that becomes a very strong tactic to be brought into a negotiation. You can understand that if you're likable, people want to do business with you. That sounds crazy, right? Why would you want to do business with somebody you like as opposed to somebody who feels like that they, uh, they got punched in the face by you? So likability is, is a third core attribute. And in my view, the great negotiator combines all three types. The great negotiator is assertive without being aggressive. The great negotiator thinks things through and comes up with multiple options. And the great negotiator develops a good relationship with you and is very likable. And you want to continue to do business with them. So whatever your default type is, I'm here to tell you, don't discard it. Add to it by evolving and improving, not by changing. My question is about negotiating with an assertive personality, and I'm an accommodator, and he uh, has anchored high in this business negotiation, and hopefully uh, so, he's, he's got something I want, but, uh, just trying to figure out how we could best uh, work him down a little bit. All right. So there's a couple of things there. First of all, you, you identify this person as an assertive of the three personality types. Um, I, and I should say all three person of the personality types have something as important to them as making the deal. And what do you think that is for the assertive? Let me, let me back up. Let me give it to you. Let me tell you what the accommodator likes more than the deal. Let me tell you what the analyst likes more than the deal, and I'll throw it out to you, Steve, as a question, what you think the assertive. For the accommodator, what is as important to them as making the deal is maintaining the relationship, particularly maintaining the relationship in the moment. That's most important to them. You can get into a room with an accommodator, and you guys can come up with absolutely no resolution to what you're talking about, but the accommodator will feel good as long as the relationship is still there. The analyst, what's as important to an analyst than making the deal is data and information. As an analyst, if I go into a negotiation, I don't care. I mean, I do care, but if the, if the deal falls through, I'm okay with it as long as I've been made smarter in the process because I'm all about getting more data. I want to confirm the data that I went into the negotiation with, and I want to come out with a little bit more uh, than what I came in with. And if those two things are checked, yes, I'm in a good spot. So, Steve, what do you think is as important to the assertive as making the deal? I, I think in this situation, it's, it's his ego. And I think he wants to be perceived as he 
is making the best deal for him. You cut off a little bit there. I'm assuming that you said E as in ego. Ego, yes. All right. That's the bottom line. They want to be heard and they want to be respected. And that's fueled by their ego. The deal can go to hell in a handbasket as long as you know when you leave that room that they are the man or that they are the woman. And if that if that has been satisfied for them, they don't really get wound up around the axle as to whether or not the deal goes through. And so understanding what's important to them to be heard and respected. People often think of the assertive as being the most difficult of the three to deal with. The reality is they're not. Because all you got to do is shut your mouth and let them drive the bus. And they will tell you exactly what you need to know to move them in the direction that you need to move them in. Now, as, as for the high anchor... High anchors, that's a hack. That's a go-to move for everybody because they've read previous books prior to Never Split the Difference coming out and many of those books espousing, anchoring high. When they know for a fact that everybody else on the other side, everybody else who's receiving that high anchor knows that nobody anchors where they intend on ending up. And so... I'm coaching you, Steve. I'm telling you I'm going to make him or her defend that high anchor. Something to the effect of, you know, it sounds like you took that number under a lot of deliberation before you landed on it. Would you be against walking me through how you came up with it? That's going to tell you right away, are they posturing or is this, is this anchor more solid than, than what you thought it would be? Make them defend it. Let's, let's figure out where that's coming from. In this situation, he, he has told me that he doesn't want to give away the goose that lays the golden egg. Why would I want to do that? Is what he's told me in our previous conversation all right and so that goes back to what we talked about earlier not don't get caught up in what he said what where is that coming from when somebody tells you i don't want to give away the goose that lays the golden egg what is he really telling you that he's got a business that uh has a lot of cash flow, and why would he want to give it away for a cheap price? It goes deeper than that, Steve. It goes deep. It's it's more primal than that. It's more animal than that. Hmm. You're staying on the surface right now. He's telling you something else when he says, "I don't want to give away the goose that lays the golden egg." Okay. Why would anybody say that to you? I don't know. I I bet you do, and I'm going to help walk you through it a little bit. I don't want to give away the goose that lays the golden egg. Translation, I'm afraid that you're going to take advantage of me on price. I'm afraid that you are going to take advantage of the value that I believe Um this product or service holds. I'm afraid of what this is going to make me look like internally. If I am asking for 150 bucks and we settle on a hundred bucks, what kind of reflection is that going to be of me with my peers internally with my boss internally? He's telling you, dude, I am under a lot of pressure to make sure that I don't get taken advantage of on this deal. That's what I don't want to lay. I don't want to give away the goose that lays the golden egg is screaming. So it's kind of going back to ego. again. Going back to ego. Sounds like you're under a lot of pressure on your side to come in at a specific margin. 
sounds like sounds like they're kicking you in the teeth on your side of the table to make sure that you're not taken advantage of. Yep. It sounds like you've been burned in the past. That's what it is. It's a fr- it's it's a fear of something that has to do with his ability to save face. He's either been burned in the past. They're clubbing him about the head and shoulders over this deal, telling him you better not give it away. And that's what he's afraid of. That is the area of the conversation where you need to focus in on. Stop worrying about the actual words that he's using. And let's figure out what is that latent dynamic. Now, I threw that out for you, Steve. I'll bet you that what I said to you made sense. And it only made sense to you because internally you knew that was going on. You knew that's what that statement meant. You just probably couldn't articulate it uh, because you're still doing this at a, a at a surface level. Most of you are still doing this at a surface level. I want to get you off of the surface. Well, and part of that is because I'm a slow guy from South Dakota, so I'm really just slow. Yeah, well, you said that I didn't. <laughs> but what I will tell you, Steve, is that what you have going for you is you're a human being. And you have the same human nature responses as everybody else. Fear drives you to do certain things. Fear is driving your assertive counterpart into doing and saying certain things. And we collectively as people get so shook up by the fact that somebody says, you take this out of the contract or we're not going to sign. And then we start to freak out and we go back to our people and we say, we got to do something or they're going to walk. When the reality is, the you need way to, to work around that be rather than take away or we're not going to sign. If he added in more things and we'll sign. It's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. If they want something added, what are they telling you? You, 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 Steve, are getting all freaked out that he wants to add certain things to it. What does that really say? That he's afraid he's not getting enough. That he's not seeing the value of what's already on the table and he wants you to sweeten the pot. So let's go after that fear of not being provided the value to find out where, what's generating that. What's, 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 what's causing that. Pushbacks, objections, changes to agreements are all cloaks, cloaks for fear of something. And that's what we need to focus on, not what they're actually asking, saying, or doing. Yep. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. I mean, it's it's an ego thing. I think it's a safe face thing. And that does make sense to me, you know. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it would be like if Tiger Woods never hit the practice mm-hmm. green or the or the driving range. Like Tiger Woods was a maniac for being on the driving range when he wasn't playing. You know, your skills deteriorate. And so we could, and you've already told me that you like to learn. And that you believe that skills are learned and not natural. So that gives you an advantage in learning to start with. Mm-hmm. So we could train you up easily in a relatively short period of time. But then whether or not you understand the maintenance that's necessary to stay on top of it. When you consider the, the different industries that you help and the different situations that negotiations required, it kind of encompasses everything, doesn't yeah. it? From, yeah, yeah, yeah. from getting your parents to do something for you when you're younger all the way through to getting your boss to give you the kind of outcome you're looking for to the client that you're dealing with the the challenging situation between a few parties at the same time around the table is it to get a cup of coffee at starbucks yeah to get a cup of coffee in starbucks is it is it all very very different or on the whole is it actually all very similar, just nuances based upon the individual situation. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's exactly it. Human beings make their mind up on what they're going to do pretty much the same, same regardless of circumstances. 
You know, there's a rule that we, that we live by, never be mean to somebody who could hurt you by doing nothing, which is everybody you talk to. So the flip side of that is anybody you talk to could help you if they felt like it. So how do you get them to feel like it? Okay. And then how do you accelerate that? And the decision of whether or not they feel like it is, did they connect with you? Did they feel like you connected with them? Now, in the following steps, what are they going to do? Or what could they do extra? And then, is this a one-off? And nothing is a one-off. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody thinks that stuff is a one-off, but nothing is a one-off. Because anybody that you encountered in your world today, you're likely to encounter them tomorrow. So how is that a one-off? Shopping at a, for a car, shopping at a, at, a, at a Home Depot. One of my one of my students in Georgetown, in the book, there's a, a section on bargaining. We call it the Ackerman Method. Like, it is a brutally effective way to bargain. I mean, you will get your price. So one of my students at Georgetown uses the Ackerman model to just, just kill Home Depot on a price of cabinets. Just slaughtered them. Best deal he'd ever heard of anybody got on cabinets. Had to go back to the same guy a week later. That guy remembered getting the daylight beat out of him a week earlier. He wasn't about to help him again. Yeah. You know, he thought that was a one-off transaction, but he had to go back to the Home Depot for something else. Are you, are you studying personality types a lot of the time when you, when you first start to talk to somebody? I'll, I'll try and give an example. When I sell something, right. My, the, the first part of any communication I have is to build some rapport. Right, yes. Uh, and I have a process to building rapport. So right. my process will always be uh, work, social, family. All right. Okay, yeah. because you don't start with family when you don't know somebody. It's kind of a bit weird asking about if you're married and you've got kids. But right. most people are happy to talk about their business. Right. So then you can ask them about their business. They can tell you a bit more about that. And again, living overseas, people have probably more to tell than if we're all based back in our hometowns. Once I've built some rapport, which takes some time, I've got a, a good understanding, or not a good, a better understanding of, of what they like, what they don't like, what matters to them, what's important, and, and, and how they feel about the work that they do. Right. Once I've built that bit of rapport, it's, and, and again, in rapport, I'm learning, so I'm asking questions. I'm not really talking. Right. I'm trying to pay attention, yeah? Right. And because I know I'm going to have to speak at some point, and I want to speak at a time that my prospective client wants me to speak. Right. I, it's almost like right. I've earned the right to speak. Yes. Because yeah. I need to share some information. But if I meet them for the first time and I just jabber, 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 then I'm, you know, they're not going to be listening to me. But if they've done 15 minutes of talking and telling me stuff, then naturally people want to learn a little bit about you because of that. And again, this is my process, and you can, you can tell me how right It's not I'm a bad process. It. And then after that, I then could explain a bit about what I do. And then my job then is to learn some more and identify through that learning experience the areas that that potential client might have a problem, a weakness, an issue, a challenging situation that they need to resolve. Once I find out what that is, my job's then to make that issue essentially bigger so that they want to do something about it. Right. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. When it, and I look at that as taking somebody on a path, but I'm, I'm trying to learn at the very outset, is this person a driver? What, are they amiable? You know, are they expressive? Are they analytical? Because I know for sure I'm not an analytical. And when I find an analytical, I have to change my game completely, very consciously, because I know they're going to require things that are different from the amiable guy. The amiable guy is going to get on with me no matter what. And it's almost dangerous that he will get on with me because it puts me into a full sense of security from a, from a business perspective. And then I've got the driver guy that, look, I haven't got time for your small talk, mate. <laughs> I need to buy this. Or I need to sort this out. We need to get to this point. So can we just go there? So in everything I do, I kind of, I, I use this process that I learned 25, 30 years ago to infiltrate every part of what I do in business. Right. When you go in and coach companies, doesn't matter what the industry is that they're in, when you go and coach them, is, that, is, is your process being taught that way? Well, first of all, it's really interesting the way you broke that down because um, 
We break the world down into the same three types. We get different names for them. You call them amiable, analytical, and driver. Amiable, analytical, driver, and expressive, yeah. Okay. All right. So we got four types, which is uh, close to something that's been around for about 30, 40 years. We call it three. We call it fight, flight, make friends, accommodator, analytic, assertive. Uh, You threw in the expressive, which may or may not be a combination of a couple of those two. Maybe. But very, almost exactly the same thing that, we, we, that we've broken it down to. We got it from Thomas Kilman Conflict Mode, which breaks the world into five. When I went to Harvard, they knocked two out, broke it down to three. We took what they were thinking and made some tweaks. But again, three types. And it's our, you know, you would probably speculate the world breaks up evenly into those four. We've found reason to believe that the world breaks up evenly into our three. Regardless, same, same basic ideas. Now, we don't dial into that right away, but we look for it for misunderstandings, or if there's an impasse, it's going to be a tight mismatch. Or there are certain things that are absolute guaranteed misunderstandings. Like one of them is going dead silent. You know, with the, uh, with the amiable, the friendship-oriented, the interaction-oriented type, they're horrified over silence. Because to them, the currency is the interaction. And to go silent is to withhold the currency, which is the, um, the harshest thing they could do. I withhold my most valuable currency from you, the silent treatment. Now, the analytic loves silence. Because they get to think. So you get an amiable across from an analytic or an analytic across from an accommodator or, or term. Like the, uh, the analytical guy has gone dead silent and is grateful for it because he wants to think. Mm-hmm. And he's thinking, thank God, the other person finally shut up because I, I, I want to think. <laughs> and the other, the, the accommodator, the, the amiable is going like, oh my God, oh my God, he's, he's not talking. He must be furious. Oh my, what do I do? I got to speak up. <laughs> you know, it's a comedy. So that we, we teach people that it's type mis- mismatch. Now, we want to dial in on that fairly earlier, and we, we got a little bit of a hack, which is similar because you said, Ken said to you, what makes you cool? Yeah. And then you went on a quick journey of your life, and he got a really interesting story out of you in about 90 seconds. Uh-huh. Instead of the 15 minutes that you were talking about. Uh-huh. And the mere asking of the question, what makes you cool, I mean, it lit you up. It created an instantaneous state change in you. Tony uh-huh. Robbins, you said, you know, he's had as a guest, he always talks about state change. Yes. So a similar thing that we do is at a cocktail party, I could ask you where you're from, uh-huh. and I'm going to get stuff out of you about where you're from that you've never told anyone. Uh-huh. Like I was at a party in Hollywood Party. And this producer, I had no idea who this dude was. Everybody was falling all over themselves, you know, to walk up to him and uh, genuflect in front of him, you know, stroke him, flatter yeah. him. I finally talked to him. We t- I talked to him longer than anybody else did. And when he got done, he goes like, wow, I haven't told anybody that stuff in 20 years. All based on where you're from. Or I can look at you and I go, what about what you do makes you passionate? And I didn't ask you what you did, because mm-hmm. a lot of people are leery of that. Mm-hmm. But I, I caused a state change to trigger your passion. Mm-hmm. And it'll light you up very much the same way that the Ken's question, what, about, what is it about you? What makes you cool? Yeah. And then you get into passion, and I, and I watch people instantaneously change. And then they start unloading core values to me which is also what you were just talking about. Yeah. I want to know what's important to this person, how they tick. Do I want to do business with them? Are they going to want to do business with me? Do our core values align? How do I proceed? Uh, we, um, we do EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System, coached by this really smart guy named Jonathan Smith. First meeting, he says, all right, we're going to outline our core values. I'm like, what are you, that's stupid. Work hard, be honest. What else is there to say? Yeah, Troy, I have a question as well. Sure. Um, if So you said like types don't mix. So if, if you know you're in a situation where, like I said, I'm an accommodator, and if I know I'm with another accommodator, 
like what what are some things I can do? Is is that where I just need to use those different tactics or or different strategies, or is it is is there something else I should do to to try to make that a working situation? One of the things you need to have is a good coach. We tell people don't go into negotiations by yourself. If there's any opportunity to have a coach, have that coach that have that coach there, because they'll keep you on track. They'll keep you from overpromising and underdelivering, because they'll move the conversation along. If not, you guys will sit there and be talking about everything under the sun, and probably won't get the negotiations done. Sure. Can I add something? Sure. Go ahead, Derek. Yeah. Anytime. So, um, just for clarification's sake, like types are mismatches only when you're thinking about accommodators. The worst type mismatch for an accommodator is another accommodator. The type mismatches that you need to be aware of with the other two is the other two don't like each other. (laughs) Analysts and assertives are two sides of the same coin. And for that reason, they don't like dealing with one another. So your question was, how do you how do you navigate the conversation? You have to understand what the other two look like in order to round out your negotiation skills. For example, if Roman, you're an accommodator, you're going up against another accommodator, you know for a fact that that accommodator will promise you things they had no intention on delivering because they want to keep you happy in the moment. They want to keep that relationship live and prosperous in the moment. And you know that by and large, accommodators have a propensity for walking you up to the edge of a minefield and not telling you about it, knowing that your next step could be your last. And so what does that mean for you? That means that you have to, um, you, you're going to have to throw in a lot of implementation questions. You're going to have to throw in a lot. In, in, you're going to have to what and how them to death after an agreement has been made because of their inclination to not be as forthright because they want to make you happy. I had, there was one accommodator, yeah, one accommodator that, that told us, you know, try to get your head around this if you can. I'm not intentionally trying to lie to you, but you can't believe every word that comes out of my mouth. So I'm going to let, I'm going to let you sit there and think about that for a while, because that was said to us us probably nine years ago, and I'm still trying to get my head around it. I can't, I, you, you can't believe everything that comes out of my mouth, but I'm not intentionally trying to lie to you. That is the mindset of an accommodator. So you're going to have to test every time you get an agreement from them, you're going to have to test it more than you do with the other two people or the other two types. Awesome. Thank you. Um, about assertive. A type of assertive. How do, can you put an example? But on a business, um, like a business example, how how somebody could be assertive on a business negotiation. So in a business negotiation, if you if if there's a certain price that they want to get, and you have a different uh, price that you that you think it should be, and we had this conversation earlier today, mm-hmm. the assertive is going to say, "This is where we need to be at." Take it or leave it. You know, I've already done everything. I know what the price should be at. I know what the market is. You're trying to get over on me. I need to get it at this price. Okay. So that's good. I'm that that type, you know, but also analysts, because when it comes to negotiations, you always want to be hearing the other part. Uh, that's analyzing what they want and what they need. But then if it comes to time for a negotiation for a price, um, you know, this is the best I can do for you, but uh, it, it doesn't accommodate for what you're looking for. Perhaps there's other options for you. So these are two types combined, correct? So, so yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Ricardo. But here's what I want you, here's what I want you to think about when you're thinking about your type. When you've got skin in the game, and you're in the room with me and I smash you in the face with the brick, what are you going to do? When I come into the room and I start attacking you with ad hominem attacks about your company, about your character, about your integrity, about your product, about your service, what are you going to do? When the emotions are high pressures on and I'm painting you into a corner and I'm limiting your options, what are you going to do? Still be analyst, you know. We're gonna fight. We're going to make friends or we're going to run. 
So don't think of this in terms of who you are and who you're trying to identify. Don't think of this in terms of your day-to-day life, because in your day-to-day life, yes, you have to be some of everything. But I'm talking about when you're threatened. Right. In the heat of the moment. Where do you go? It's, it's, you know, it's, it's funny you say that because uh, Mike Tyson used to say, everybody has a plan until <laughs> you get punched in the face. <laughs> we right? we right. use that all and the time. that's exactly right. right. That's right. We use it all the so, time. Sentiments get involved and other things get involved. So, all right. Thank you. Thank you for the clarification. Sure. Anybody else? Oh, Troy, if I could just uh, ask one question. Um, sure. I just typed it out actually in the messages. Because um, in the normal negotiation, um, I try to, I'm, I'm mostly an accommodator, but when you have an assertive across the table and he tries to push forward with his facts, push forward with his opinions, it's hard being an accommodator to actually win that argument because you have all these facts being thrown at you, all these information, and then you're just trying to you kind of shy away in, a, in, in, in that sort of situation. What, what's the best way to make the other side actually hear you and your points and your, your facts that you're trying to put across? So remember at the top, we said the C was the curiosity. Mm-hmm. You want to stay curious. Why is he throwing out these numbers? Why is he doing this? Why is he trying to get, get you confused? His whole intention is to make you think negative thoughts, not be able to communicate well, forget about what your plan of action is, how you're going to get there. And so now he's just he's just messed with your brain that that amygdala is messed up. (laughs) Now you can't think straight. So you you're going to start giving into whatever he wants because you're not used to having to deal with that. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So that's when you want to start labeling and mirroring. We always we always the label in your mirror. It seems like you've done some research. It sounds like you're saying this because you have a number in mind. Okay. Shane, so and, and, and can I, Shane, are you, are you an accommodator? Is that why you posed I that question? Say, yes, I would say so. Okay. So, mm-hmm. um, as an accommodator dealing with an assertive, think of yourself. They first of all, they love dealing with you because you guys will get smacked around the room and <laughs> enjoy it and not say I've, anything about I've, it. I've had that once and once or twice in the past, to be honest. Right. And, and so, first, knowing know that going in, the assertive automatically enjoys being in the room with you. You are at an advantage because all you have to do is shut up to maintain the relationship. If they're talking to Troy's point, you are learning. And most people view the assertive as the most difficult negotiation partner when in reality, they're the easiest. They're the easiest to deal with because I don't have to say anything. They just want, they want to drive. They want to pontificate. They want to tell me how smart, brilliant, and just bad they are. And so I let them do that. Now, there are ways once you get them to once 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 you've allowed them to share their vision once you've allowed them to dump their bucket once you allowed them to push out all the data and information that they wanted to put out there's nothing that says that it's now not your turn and so respectfully deferentially you're just going to set them up with a a after you've labeled and mirrored everything that they've given you you're going to set them up with a no oriented question uh, simply something like this. Are you, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to share that with me. Are you against me walking you through what our vision is on how this is going to play out? Let that sit for one or two seconds. No oriented question. You're trying to generate that no response, but uh, a no verbal response, but the actual result is a yes. And then Right before you jump into all of your data and information, you're going to set it up with the accusations audit, which is what we're going to talk about next. And that is, this is going to catch you off guard. You're going to think that I'm naive and don't have a good appreciation of what the market looks like. And let that sit. One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand. And now you lay out your side of the story. So 
while he thought he was bulldozing you, steamrolling you when he was throwing out all of his data and information, the reality is he was giving you information that you were going to now use to state your case in chief. Make sense? Makes sense. So basically take the 45 second gap that you suggested and kind of wait up and build your position. It's not going to be a 45 second gap. It's just going to be let them go. You know, when you first sit down with this assertive, simply at, simply make this statement. It seems like you have a vision for how this is going to work out. You open that up to an assertive and you can just sit back for the next 10 minutes. You're not going to be able to say one thing because they're just going to bleh, all of this information on you. Now, you pick your spots, label and mirror, paraphrase, whatever you get, especially those things that support your position, right? <laughs> and then you switch it around and now you're going to give it to them. So the time limit is however much time they take. You just We're not in a hurry. So if it takes them three hours to get through to their point, we'll wait there for three hours. Thanks for that. Yeah. So if you're talking about the 45 seconds to a minute, that's when they're attacking you. Uh, you know, that's when you let them just, it'll, it'll pass. But just like he said, the assertive, they'll, they'll talk. And every time you do a dynamic silence, they think it's their turn to talk. Let them. Makes it a lot easier for you. 80% of the time in the negotiations, we're going to have the accommodator voice. We're going to be friendly. We're going to be kind. We're going to be considerate. We're going to want to build that relationship. The other 20% of the time, you want to have the late night DJ voice. That's where you're going to be precise. You're going to be direct. You're going to speak very clearly in an effort to get a part across what you need to get across. And a good time that you use that is when you're stating your position. So how do you deal in a negotiation with the kind of person who has to win, who has to get everything they want? They're very controlling, alpha, right? and it's their way or no way. Well, getting everything they want is actually third on their list. First of all, being in control is number one on their list, and that's emotionally satisfying. Mm. The second thing is the alpha type, which is uh, we refer to that as the, the assertive. The one thing that's more important to them than actually getting what they want is being respected and making sure that you know everything about what they're coming from. So, and it's a classic guy who's working for his boss and said, you know what, my boss didn't do what I wanted him to do, but he heard me out or she heard me out. Mm. I can live with the direction that we're going as long as I know that my boss knows my opinion. And so that the assertive type of negotiator, it's really more important to them that they felt felt that they uh, conducted themselves respected, respectably, that you respected them, and that you knew what they were coming from. Mm. And once they know those things, they'll actually soften up on what they want. If they feel disrespected, they'll probably be more frustrated and angry and right. demanding. Right, 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 right. So you have because to when they're very demanding. What they're really saying to you sub subtly is, I want you to know how important this is to me. Right. I want you to know how important I am. So, so how do you meet that person? Just come to them with respect or with yeah, calm? Was, or you, know, you could say, look, you're, you're, you're impressive. You're phenomenal. You've thought it's all out. This is very... Yeah. I mean, clearly, you know where you're coming from. You know what you want. Um, I'm lucky to be talking to you at all. <laughs> right. I mean, if were I to sit down with, with Donald Trump, I would, in fact, be lucky to be in the same room with him. That'd be the first thing I'd say to him. I'd say, you're, you're an American icon. Right. You know, you, you're the symbol of American business, certainly in New York City. Yeah, you know, stro stroking her ego is not a bad thing. One of the, one, and, it, you know, it's a version of empathy because that, that's how they see themselves. Mm. And, you know, the, 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 the emotional recognition, like emotional currency is not going to solve every deal. I just don't want to try to solve any deal with money when I could have solved it with emotional currency. I'm saving mm -hmm. my money. With emotional yeah. empathy, currency, intelligence. Right, yeah. right. My money's too important to me to waste it when I could buy something with satisfaction. Brandon, last time you made some comments on how to deal with analysts and accommodators was wondering if you can get a little bit more with assertive people and those that really are stretching things, um, kind of what the process is to manage down with those and negotiate with those people. 
um, and maybe even see how they tick or make them tick in a broader direction. So, all right, fantastic. Now, great question, and, and I'm really glad you asked it because we were, we were just talking a little bit about Chris. And for those of you that don't know, Chris's natural type is assertive, and and I think you know to your point about dealing with assertives in general. I think that's a direct effect of his mental fatigue middle of the afternoon because he spent so much energy aggressively coming at people up until that point in the day that it's just it's hard to keep up that level of aggression or or assertiveness and it does in fact wear you out you know mentally and physically and so um you know i think i think being very cognizant of, you know, somewhat, somewhat of what we would call a circadian rhythm, right? A little bit and knowing that they're probably mentally fatigued and then you can even come at it that way. You know, I, it's late in the day, boss. I'd imagine you've already thought through a lot of decisions and you, 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 you don't really want to think through anymore at this point in the day. Do you have an issue with X? No, bang, you're out the door. Right. And um, um, if you're dealing with someone, you know, especially an assertive that maybe sometimes might forget what they said or forget what they committed to because they were just too busy being aggressive. When you get in that moment, you know, three, uh, excuse me, the rule of three is this idea of we get confirmation from someone in some form three times before we move forward. Number one, because people have a tendency to remember things they agreed to three times. And number two, it also creates an emotional moment that we can refer back to later on in the timeline, right? Let's say something blows up. You can go back when you said this three times. How was I supposed to interpret that? Right. And so specifically with dealing with an assertive, do you got a problem with me doing it, doing X? No. Okay. That's your, that's your first of three confirmations as it were in the moment you could easily follow that up with a label sounds like you're not going to have any issue with this no 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 of course not but please please go ahead all right and then you could paraphrase it so you're good with me taking on this effort and handling it this way yeah of course uh, yeah that, that's that's good to go go ahead and get out of my office now you've gotten that three times and if something blows up or they change their mind down the line. You got the, for all intents and purposes, the instant defense. When we talked about this last week, and I asked you three times, what, what, what did you want me to interpret from that? Right? And now you're essentially off the hook. So that, that's one. And then another one that's just in general with dealing with assertives, we know that they like to talk, right? They, they generally have a dissertation they need to get off their chest. Mm -hmm. mirrors are a great way to navigate your way through that dissertation and specifically when you're mirroring right as they're going on and on they're going to say stuff that is actually important to you eventually they're going to say something that you want them to focus on that's what you end up mirroring okay and it very much directs their thought process kind of like a you know like a pinball and a pinball machine your flippers are the mirrors for all intents and purposes but that's, that's a great question I'm thinking specifically, I'm dealing with a broker. He sources good sites for us. Um, I'm a real estate developer and he sources good sites. Okay. And let's say market commissions are at 3%. Well, he okay. comes and says, well, I'm bringing all this. I want 6%. And I'm getting this with XYZ and blah, 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 and just hammering through. And you guys are just not being grateful enough. The market is at 3 and and he's starting to negotiate at six and really just throwing it at your face making facts up and uh how do you is it love to hear more of that maybe it's repeating the same thing uh, that you just said or maybe there's a slight twist to that yeah no great great question so and i, lo I love the uh, clarification here so yes mirrors are going to be helpful right when he's when he's rambling on as it were What's nice is you got a bit of a relationship with this guy and you understand how he works a little bit, how he ticks. And so that should inform you on how what a good accusations audit should look like. And so um, I know you put in the time to source this information, right? You've clearly put in work and, and obviously you're going to feel like there's a certain amount of this that belongs to you 
for X reasons. That could be your start, especially in regards to, uh, you know, these commission percentages and things of that nature, what percentage belongs to him and vice versa. And then go silent, right? Because you want to say, yeah, that's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And then you could follow up with, you know, what I got to say next, you're, you're really not going to like right how bad how how much of how bad of a position would we put you in what sort of damage do we potentially uh, let ourselves in for by saying we can't we can't do that by saying that this isn't something that works for us you know out the gate we know that this is a problem what, what sort of damage do we let ourselves in for by letting you know this is an issue for us Right. And then, right, you're putting you're putting the problem back on him to solve, but you're also at the same time sounding him out. Right. You know that he feels like he worked hard. He's deserved and you're worried about causing damage. And now it's easy to work with you. It's easy to respect you and know that you're somewhat trying to protect all of us at the same time. And so that that would kind of be a, a decent start for an interaction with, uh, with, a, with a person of that nature. Yeah. Andrea made a good point, which is. Um, she says, my rule of thumb is that I'm always striving, um, to be more effective, to move ahead, essentially. Exactly. And exactly. that's exactly what this is, right? Because it's like, do we need to be nice just to be nice? Because that's a societal expectation. No, like, that's not why we're doing this, right? We're not doing this because that's just what's expected of us from men or from larger society, right? We're doing this because we want to make deals happen. We want to, we want to have a working relationship with people. We want to, it's, it's motivated by larger things. Mm -hmm. So that's the main thing. And keep in mind that with this black swan method, it's a group of skills that you can use to your benefit. So what you're doing is you're taking these skills and you're using them on the other side to your benefit. So it's not that you're having to change your personality or who you are. You're adapting to the situation and using these skills so that you're more effective, you know, in the boardroom, in the job interview, in the salary negotiation, um, because you can only control yourself. So if you control your tone and what comes out of your mouth, you'll be surprised how that will be mirrored from the other side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yvonne just mentioned, um, that she said is, um, is assertiveness something that you learned? Was it part of your character? Cause she's really more of the like nice kind. And she feels like that's a disadvantage. And, um, I feel like, well, I mean, Sandy and I have talked about this cause Sandy's more assertive naturally. I'm more the accommodator naturally. Um, and it is something that you have to learn. It's more like learning how to have boundaries and saying no. Um, and I really do like personally, I use labels all the time. I use them on dates. I use them on, I use them with my parents. I use them on, like I use them all the time, not just in business cases, because it's a really great way where I can keep my like my natural tone of voice that is very accommodating, but then I can also make it very clear, like draw lines in the sand. Like, mm -hmm. it seems like you think I don't know about this already, or it seems like you, right. Like where I can use that tone of voice. That's a little bit of a, that's an, that's an assertive one. Okay. Just for the record, but that you really can use it to draw lines in the sand while maintaining your persona. You don't have to lose that in order to draw, draw lines and be assertive. Right. Exactly. Um, I will say that of the three personality types, the assertive is where you never want to be. So if you are naturally assertive, it's actually harder for you because when you're using these skills, the place where you should live, your, your go-to place to use these skills is as an accommodator because 80% of the conversation is going to be in that playful, friendly, nice voice. It's when you get to your pitch or your ask, when you want something specific from someone, that's when you're going to go into that analyst voice and that's the lower octave not quite as friendly, very serious, very, you know, monotone, because that's going to draw attention to what you're saying, because that's what you really want them to listen to. So you're playful and friendly until you want to come across with, this is the important thing that I'm talking about. 
you're going to go down, you're going to slow down, and they're going to focus in because you just changed everything. And you'll be surprised to see how people will literally focus in on you when you start to change that voice because you're actually manipulating them without doing it. You flip a little switch in their brain when you use that voice. Okay, so that's where you should be the other 20% of the time. If you want to be assertive, go to the gym, punch a punching bag, <laughs> scream and holler, throw some paint at a wall that's supposed to be having th paint thrown at it, do something else. Um, it is hard, I will say, if you are naturally assertive to hold yourself in that accommodator's position, it's exhausting because for me, I'm just naturally blunt and sarcastic and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, just me, I'm unfiltered 90% of the time. So you really have to try hard to stay in that accommodator place. So if you are an accommodator, don't work toward being more assertive because you really don't need to be. These skills work best from an accommodating viewpoint, okay, with that accommodator's voice. That's where they work the best because you know you're not going to come across as something that people can get defensive toward if you're in the accommodator's voice. So I think I like this the way you know you you work with various different type of personalities. But once you get this connected and then you know it's a time to make a decision. Yes. Uh, I think you know that's a real barrier, right? So before before you cross, let's say for example, right, I'm working with accommodator and then you know he says that oh we need like, for example i'm saying we need to re release this product to the public right okay we're ready to release and then but let's say i found an issue saying that oh you know what i think we need we need to fix this before we release it then accommodator is okay with that but you know it's not really want to hurt my feelings so he says let's release this see what happens and then we will fix it versus i say no i think this is going to be a disaster let's fix it maybe delay it Right. So I might be able to convince him, but it is not a one time thing right? this is an office environment I work with all the time. Uh, so maybe I can convince him now, but would that impact the long term relation? And then how do you go with that? Uh, OK, good, good question, especially in regards to dealing with accommodators. I, I, I like this a lot. Um, so first thing to remember when dealing with any accommodator, right, in addition to the fact that they're relationship focused. Right. The thing that they struggle with the most in life, in general, is saying no to people. Yes. They really struggle with that, right? And as you know, right, you felt it before. Yeah. And so whether this accommodator, based on the circumstance, is having trouble saying no to you, or they have people that they're answering to, that they're worried about disappointing because they got to say no to them, that's probably the crux of the issue. And so using a verbal observation to start to explore that a little bit more. Because maybe what might help that accommodator, if they got somebody to answer to, bringing you in, the expert that understands the problems deeply and also understands how to fix them and how long it's going to take, maybe bringing you to the table in that circumstance is going to help them the most. Or if they were trying to say no to you and they just can't, they can't stomach the thought, you bring it up like it, it, it sounds like you're trying to figure out how to say no, right? It seems like you're worried about turning down my request. That at least opens it up and will alleviate some of the pressure. Like, you know, even that, that's, that is exactly what I'm worried about. And now, now you're having a very different conversation because you're addressing the emotional issue that's standing in the way of progress. And especially in your mind, actual progress of we need to delay this because we don't want to put out crap and I'm not going to put out crap with my name on. Right. Mm -hmm. And so once you've addressed the emotional issue, then problem solving can come on the back end. But it's really yeah, but hard to problem solve without without fixing that first. Yeah. The, the, the comrade is also worried about, oh, we already delayed twice or like, you know, we never delivered anything. So this is give us some credibility with the customers. And if you if you say we're going to delay it again, maybe it's better product. But he's worried about like saying like, oh, it's going to be delayed one more time, right? And then yeah. I, so, so I can be the uh, the uh, bearer of bad news to the customers. But and then again, the two things here, like how do we deal with the customers, which is mm -hmm. beyond this accommodator, number one, and number two is that if I force it, let's say like you know cut the crap, we're delaying it, then I might, because this is the person I'm going to work with in a, in a carpet environment for next, I don't know, number of years, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's 
even for me, there's a relationship I need to maintain with the person and also how do you deal with this, this beyond the negotiation here, the customer side of it. Ah, very good. Yeah, okay, very good. So a couple things. Um, part of dealing with, uh, and especially any team of people, is helping them facilitate negotiations for themselves when we're not in the room. Mm. And so helping this person walk through how to deliver bad news is probably gonna help them, right? Because they don't, they don't know how to say what they need to say. That's the first part. And then the second part of, right, we gotta maintain this relationship that's a very open conversation you can have with an accommodate. And, and you know, and to the tune of, I know it's important for us to figure out how to work best together. And I know it's important for you to make sure that we, we protect the relationship and continue to work amicably. How do we handle issues like this in the future so that we don't, I wanna say destroy, but I don't really like that word, so that we don't hinder any of that, so that we don't have any negative effects on our ability to work as a cohesive unit, right? And the accommodator might say, well, I need, you know, I need to know a week earlier, or, um, you know, we need to have daily check-in calls, whatever it is, but letting them know you want to protect the relationship too, because it's important for so many reasons. And then how do we do that so that we don't run into another problem like this and let them state what it is? And the great thing about it is if they stated it all and things still hit the fan, they stated what the agenda was going to look like, right? They stated what the, what the talking points, uh, how they would be navigated moving forward. And so we readjust if we run into that. But yeah, help them figure out how to deliver the bad news. Because what I know you're worried about what the hell we're going to say to our customers because we've already delayed this thing once and you're worried about how they're going to feel about us if we delay it again. That's right, Reaping, right? Here's a, here's a way to deliver bad news to them, right? And throw some suggestions. But great question. I like that. Accommodators can be a tough cookie to crack sometimes. Because um, in the normal negotiation, um, I try to, I'm, I'm mostly an accommodator, but when you have an assertive across the table and he tries to push forward with his facts, push forward with his opinions. It's hard being an accommodator to actually win that argument because you have all these facts being thrown at you, all these information, and then you're just trying to, you kind of shy away in, a, in, in, in that sort of situation. What, what's the best way to make the other side actually hear you and your points and your, your facts that you're trying to put across? So remember at the top, we said the C was the curiosity. Mm -hmm. You want to stay curious. Why is he throwing out these numbers? Why is he doing this? Why is he trying to get, get you confused? His whole intention is to make you think negative thoughts, not be able to communicate well, forget about what your plan of action is, how you're going to get there. And so now he's just, he's just messed with your brain that, that amygdala is messed up. <laughs> now you can't think straight. So you you're going to start giving into whatever he wants because you're not used to having to deal with that. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So that's when you want to start labeling and mirroring. We always we always the labeling and mirroring. It seems like you've done some research. It sounds like you're saying this because you have a number in mind. Okay. Shane, and, so you, and, and, and can I, Shane, are you, are you an accommodator? Is that why you posed I that question? Say, yes, I would say so. Okay. So, mm -hmm. um, as an accommodator dealing with an assertive, thank you yourself. They, first of all, they love dealing with you because you guys will get smacked around the room and <laughs> enjoy it and not say I, anything about I, it. I, I've had that once and once or twice in the past, to be honest. Right. And, and so first, knowing, know that going in, the assertive automatically enjoys being in the room with you. You are at an advantage because all you have to do is shut up to maintain the relationship. If they're talking to Troy's point, you are learning. 
And most people view the assertive as the most difficult negotiation partner when in reality, they're the easiest. They're the easiest to deal with because I don't have to say anything. They just want, they want to drive. They want to pontificate. They want to tell me how smart, brilliant, and just bad they are. And so I let them do that. Now, there are ways once you get them to once 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 you've allowed them to share their vision once you've allowed them to dump their bucket once you allowed them to push out all the data and information that they wanted to put out there's nothing that says that it's now not your turn and so respectfully deferentially you're just going to set them up with a a after you've labeled and mirrored everything that they've given you you're going to set them up with a no oriented question uh simply something like this are you uh, I appreciate you taking the time to share that with me. Are you against me walking you through what our vision is on how this is going to play out? Let that sit for one or two seconds. No oriented question. You're trying to generate that no response, but uh, a no verbal response, but the actual result is a yes. And then right before you jump into all of your data and information, you're going to set it up with the accusations audit which is what we're going to talk about next. And that is, this is going to catch you off guard. You're going to think that I'm naive and don't have a good appreciation of what the market looks like. And let that sit. One, okay. 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000. And now you lay out your side of the story. So while he thought he was bulldozing you, steamrolling you, when he was throwing out all of his data and information, the reality is he was giving you information that you were going to now use to state your case in chief. Make sense? Makes sense. So basically take the 45 second gap that you suggested and kind of wait up and build your position. It's not going to be a 45 second gap. It's just going to be, let them go. You know, when you first sit down with this assertive, simply at, simply make this statement. It seems like you have a vision for how this is going to work out. You open that up to an assertive and you can just sit back for the next 10 minutes. You're not going to be able to say one thing because they're just going to look all of this information on you. Now you pick your spots, label and mirror, paraphrase, whatever you get, especially those things that support your position, right? <laughs> and then you switch it around and now you're gonna give it to them. So the time limit is however much time they take. You just, we're not in a hurry. So if it takes them three hours to get through to their point, we'll wait there for three hours. Thanks for that. Yeah. So if you're talking about the 45 seconds to a minute, that's when they're attacking you? Uh, you know, that's when you let up just, it'll, it'll pass. But just like he said, the assertive, they'll, they'll talk. And every time you do a dynamic silence, they think it's their turn to talk. Let them. Makes it a lot easier for you. 80% of the time in the negotiations, we're going to have the accommodator voice. We're going to be friendly. We're going to be kind. We're going to be considerate. We're going to want to build that relationship. The other 20% of the time you want to have the late night DJ voice. That's where you're going to be precise. You're going to be direct. You're going to speak very clearly in an effort to get apart across what you need to get across. And a good time that you use that is when you're stating your position. <laughs> 